Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.
Good morning. Good to see you. I'm looking for my reader. I don't see my reader. So by, in, by way of introduction, we always start out with a brief introduction. So we're refreshed from what we heard last week to move into what we're going to hear this week. Last week's title was A Final Farewell. And it was the account of Paul's final farewell to the Ephesian elders. He told them they'll never see him alive again because God's mission for him was going to take him down to Jerusalem and over into Rome. Possibly to Spain, we're just not sure, but Rome is definite. In that final, four, in that final farewell, he had to warn the elders of Ephesus of false teachers and others, wolves in sheep clothing, trying to get into the church. Satan doesn't just work out there. One of his busiest days of the week is Sunday. Trying to get people not to come to church, trying to stir up things for those who do. And Paul told the Ephesian elders, as soon as I leave, that's going to happen. You need to watch out. You need to be on your guard. Satan will try to infiltrate the church. Believe it or not, Satan will try to put in place his people in the pew, if possible. We just talked a little bit at the end about how we watch out and guard ourselves and the church from this happening. And the answer that the primary answer is we need to become thoroughly familiar with the word of God. So we cannot be deceived and move away from truth. Let me just give you one quick example. I don't want the review to get too long. But Satan will tempt church people to talk about one another in a negative way. To try and cause division and split in the church. And if we're not familiar with the word of God that says don't do that. No backbiting. No strife, no division, love one another, long-suffering with one another, gentle with one another, forgiving one another, merciful towards one another, as he is towards us. Well, if we know that, we won't fall into that trap, and we'll stop it in ourselves, and we'll stop it in others. You mean I have to be, like, confrontive? Nope. When somebody begins to talk to you about somebody else, you just simply tell them, you know what, I don't really need to hear that. You can talk to them about that if you have a problem, or you can go to your elder, and he'll, he'll help you, but you don't need to be talking to me about that. Knowing the Word of God stops that stuff, stops Satan from getting into the church. That's just one example of countless number of examples. I'm not even sure why that one came to mind. Honestly, I don't know anything. I'm not addressing any specifics. I don't know anything. That one just came to mind to share, but there's... That's representative of countless numbers of things, little things, not just big things. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine, Scripture says. It's the little things that needle and needle and needle until you finally have a wrong reaction, make a wrong decision. The Word of God, it's our foundation, it's our measuring standard that we use to expose, to protect ourselves, and to ward off the attacks of the enemy. After he warned them, he departed. They prayed together. Remember how we closed last week? Anybody remember? We prayed together. We followed scripture example. This week. Acts 21, 1 through 15. Corinne, you might as well just keep moving forward to the mic. (laughs) Perfect timing. Rest of us will stand. That'll give Corinne a chance to collect her thoughts and get up here. Let's stand together. We'll honor the word. (laughs) Take your time, Corinne. Take your time. Right, Jamal? Take your time. Take your time. So I think I told you 1 through 15 It's actually 1 through 16. It's just one more verse. Acts chapter 21, 1 through 16 should be, really. 
After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. 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 The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenica, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed to... Say whatever. Yeah. <laughs> where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea. Caesarea. And, yep. That and one stayed I know. at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Judea Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's, w- the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manson, son then, where, we, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Thank you. Thanks, Corinne. Maybe seated. So the title of the message is On to Jerusalem. Paul has been wanting to get to Jerusalem for a little while, for quite a while now. In this passage, which you heard Corinne read, it's mostly narrative. It's an account of their journey to Jerusalem. It's an account of their journey from Ephesus, or actually, well, it started in Ephesus. He met with the elders in Miletus, and now they're on their way to, to Jerusalem. Luke wants to give, for some reason, a lot of details about this journey regarding this leg of the trip. And the verses Corinne read, most of them, uh, contain those details. So we're going to look at this passage. We've got some things to talk about. But the application is going to be same old, same old. But please don't take it as same old, same old, because God's very, very serious about the application. The only reason it's same old, same old is because we may not have quite gotten it yet. And so week after week from these passages, he's challenging us with the same thing. The most striking feature of this narrative is the repeated warnings of danger to the Apostle Paul. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. I think I said Will Smith the last time I used that. Lost in space. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Everywhere Paul went, danger, danger. Danger awaits. Danger lies ahead. The most striking feature of the Apostle Paul in this narrative is how he responds to the repeated warnings of danger. And that's from which we're going to take our application at the end, how he responds to these repeated warnings of danger. FYI, again, God is going to challenge us to bring our lives in line with his word. To bring our lives in line with his desires for how we are to live this life as believers, as Christians. When we were praying in the room before service, it came to us. God is saying very clearly, it can no longer be business as usual for the church. You see where business as usual has gotten us.
So there are a few things we, we do want to mention. One of them's rather difficult. It was a rather difficult study, if I'm, if I'm totally honest. This was a rather difficult study, the first part of this passage. I'll explain why. There are a few things we want to mention and root through the passage to the application. So let's begin to break down the passage. There's our map. Can you see it? Some geography. I know some of you guys are geography buffs. We were in in the same region there in Asia for so long we didn't need to map. But now we're finally leaving Asia Minor. We're leaving the Aegean Sea area. And we're en route to Syria, Jerusalem, the Middle East. So a brief look at this journey geographically. From where they met with the Ephesian elders at Miletus, they sailed to the island of Kos, C-O-S, it's K-O-S today, off the coast of Greece. From there to Rhodes, then to Patira. They kept the island of Cyprus on their left. I'm not sure why Luke feels that's important, but he wanted us to know they sailed south of Cyprus. They headed straight for the Phoenicia-Tyre region. It's about a 400-mile um, trip by, by boat. From there, they headed south inland. They were walking now to Potolemus, then on to Caesarea. Caesarea is about 70 or 80 miles by car from Jerusalem. So Kos, I have circled in yellow. I want to talk to you about Kos a little bit. And Caesarea is circled in yellow. Caesarea is simply a part of Jerusalem. It's the port area where the ship's would arrive and and depart from. So a little bit about this island of Kos, because I want this to become real for you. Does anybody in here know anybody from the island of Kos? I bet you do, and you don't know they're from the island of Kos. Does anybody know the name Nick Pika? His wife's from Kos. How about the name, well, Lutzi, Kevin Lutz? His wife's from, from Kos. Over at Roots, did you ever read at the Greek stand? The Greek food stand at Roots? Get a gyro or gyro or however you say that? That family is from Kos. I mentioned this simply to illustrate that these are not mystical places in some faraway fantasy land. These places are real, and we know people from these places. Kos, C-O-S, then, is still a beautiful island off the, the coast of the Aegean, the Aegean Sea, off the coast of Greece, today. These biblical accounts that we're reading about, they happened in very real places, many of which still exist today. The Greek family I mentioned from, um, from Roots, Actually, there's a Columbia girl who is married to one of their sons. They've been over to Kos recently. So I just want you to realize this is all real. This isn't some fantasy made-up story. So 21.4, we sought out the disciples there, and we stayed with them seven days. They're in, they're in Tyre now, T-Y-R-E. I think that's where they are. The word means to diligently search out or seek for. It's an active word. It's not a passive word. So in other words, they didn't wait around once they they landed to see if they happened upon any disciples or believers in the area. They actively set out to find them. They wanted to join themselves to the believers, to the church in the area. It says they spent seven days there. Paul wanted desperately to get to Jerusalem in time for the feast. But one, they had made such good time. They had good, I guess it's headwinds when you're sailing. They had such good headwinds, they got there ahead of schedule. Also, the, sh- the ship had to load and unload, unload and load cargo, so he had time to spend with the church in Tyre. Tyre is in present-day Lebanon, I believe it is, the, the country of Lebanon. So implied here is that he and his companions did what they always did. They taught They encouraged, they strengthened, they discipled the believers in Tyre. Here's where it gets a little murky and we need some explanation. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. 
think we need to spend some time here. We need to mention something about this phrase, through the Spirit, to guard ourselves from any kind of misleading or misunderstanding. We need to be very careful not to read this as if it's saying the Holy Spirit was telling them not to go to Jerusalem. It's very important that we understand that's not what it's saying. Even though it seems like it's what it's saying. That's what made it so difficult. It can't be that, though, because that would be very contradictory to what Scripture has already told us that the Holy Spirit said about this matter. Acts 20, we've seen it before. This is Paul. Now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Paul said he was, at that time, he said, I'm bound by the Spirit. And we looked at that exhaustively. It means to be tied to, fastened to, attached to. It means to be compelled, constrained, prompted, led very specifically by the Spirit. And the phrase, the Holy Spirit tells me from this verse and from others that we've read, others we've already looked at, it was clearly the Holy Spirit himself leading Paul to Jerusalem. Are you with me? Paul himself viewed what these believers in Tyre were saying to him. Not that the Holy Spirit had changed his mind, and now the Holy Spirit was forbidding him to go, which is kind of the way it seems to read. He was simply seeing this again as a warning of what awaits him there. Explain it a little further yet. We're not finished explaining through the Spirit, what what through the Spirit means. But we are going to look ahead a little bit to help us understand it. So, Acts 21, 7 through 9. It's simply further narrative, further details, further facts, and historical information. Just know that in these verses, which we're not going to really cover, verses 7 through 9, Paul and his companions continue their travels south. They leave Tyre now. They travel south. Palomas, I think it was, Caesarea, Jerusalem area. Then something very interesting happens in Caesarea that is related to the Holy Spirit's leading him to Jerusalem. That's why I'm I'm jumping ahead to that. You got that? A man named Agabus, who had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands with it. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. So yet again, another prophetic witness from the Holy Spirit of his plan for Paul to get to Jerusalem. In between there, you have this confusing Thing that the disciples entire told him, you know, through the Spirit, we're telling you not to go. We're urging you not to go. So how do we explain this? Through the Spirit. They said Paul should not go to Jerusalem. But that seems to contradict everything else we've read about what the Holy Spirit is saying to Paul. So you understand that dilemma, right? So another version, this is why I love versions. Some people don't like versions, like there's only to be one version of the Bible and we all should read it. Other versions give so much light on, on the subject matter. So another version is going to help us out here. This is the ERV version. We found the Lord's followers there in Tyre, and we stayed with them for seven days. They warned Paul not to go to Jerusalem because of what the Spirit had told them. Stay with me. This this thought is actually found in in various versions, what the Spirit had told them. And it's so easy to misread this. The thought here is, the thought seems to be they were warning Paul not to go because the Spirit was telling them to. But it's not because of what the Spirit had said to them The believers in Tyre, we're splitting hairs. 
But what they had heard the Spirit had been saying to Paul all along the way. What the Spirit had been warning Paul all along the way was awaiting him. The previous prophecies. What the Spirit had told Paul and his companions. We found the Lord's followers there and they stayed with them for seven days. They warned Paul not to go to Jerusalem because of what the Spirit had been saying to Paul and his companions all along the way. You follow that? It's not saying they prophesied this to Paul. The Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. They have, must have known this information. They did not want Paul to go. They did not want to see Paul suffer these things. Therefore, they tried to talk him out of it. That's what it's saying. They tried to talk him out of it. They tried to talk him out of going. You say, well, they shouldn't have done that. Eh. We've done that, haven't we? Someone tells us the Lord is directing them into something. We don't quite agree. Uh, we think it's unwise. We think maybe it'll be hurtful for them. So we warn and we try to talk them out of it, don't we? That's what's happening here. Even though they know it's God's will, and I'll show you in a few minutes why, how we know they knew it was God's will that he go. Getting a little more down to earth with this or bringing it home more, we do that especially with our children because we want to protect them as if the Lord can't. Or we can do a better job of protecting them than he can. If you had heard word that a certain country was in chaos and there were Islamic terrorist attacks and the government was collapsing and the uh, economy was collapsing and disease was rampant and famine was rampant. There are countries like that, you know. And your son or daughter came and said, I think God's calling me to that country. We would like to think that we would say, we're with you, honey. Yep, we're going to pray and get you there. But what probably is our first thought or response. What? Are you crazy? You have a lucrative career here in the United States. You're brilliant. You have a degree. But I really believe God's calling me to this country. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've been praying about it and you're not supposed to go. That's what's happening here. This isn't a prophecy from the Spirit forbidding him to go to Jerusalem. It's a bunch of loving disciples who love Paul and don't want to see him get hurt. And they're saying, we don't think you should go. Don't go. Don't go do that. You know what's going to happen. The Spirit's been saying it all along your journey. The Spirit's been telling you what's going to happen. Why would you do this, Paul? The church needs you. Oh, man, if anything would get to Paul, it would be that. You can't go down there and get killed. The church needs you. God has a work for you here, honey. You don't need to go to a foreign country. Let somebody else go over there, somebody that's really called. <laughs> Only problem is their parents are telling them the same thing. Don't go. So nobody's gone. That's what's happening there. Does it make it somewhat more clear to us? To Jamal it does. Anybody else? Through the Spirit, it's not a bad translation. It's what the, the Greek words say there, because I was hoping it was a bad translation, and it's not. Through the Spirit just gives an unfortunate impression to us, because it can lead us to believe the Holy Spirit is contradicting himself, which never, ever happens. The believers in Tyre were telling Paul not to go because of what the Holy Spirit had already witnessed and prophesied of what awaits for him there. And when they finally got down to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit confirmed it again with the prophecy of Agabus. They were just hoping against hope that somehow, this is leading to our application, they were hoping against hope that they could somehow talk him out of going down there because it seemed better to them Human reasoning. Human reasoning doesn't always line up with Holy Spirit 
reasoning. Very rarely does. It seemed better to them that Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, should stay alive and stay healthy and stay free. We have a tendency when we're thinking with human reasoning to ignore what the Holy Spirit is clearly saying to us. You may even have a situation going on in your life right now where you know what the Lord is saying, but you're fighting against it with your human reasoning because it doesn't make earthly sense. So verses 12 and 14 are very revealing in this matter. When we heard this, that's Paul and his companions, we and the local believers, this is Amazing. Now think about this. See if you pick up where I'm going. We and the local believers, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Poor Luke got caught up in it. And he starts telling Paul, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go. Their flesh is moving into desperation, frantic mode. We can't lose Paul. Even if the Holy Spirit says it, we can't, we can't go that route. We do that sometimes. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up. And what'd they say? All right, the Lord's will be done. They knew it was the Lord's will all along that he was to go to Jerusalem. All right, Lord's will be done. Guess we're going to have to acquiesce. Maybe he does know better. I was really blown away that even Luke and his companions were so influenced by the believers at Tyre that they also started begging Paul not to go. And I'm not sure if I have it in here. We'll see as we move forward. There's a verse that said, um, that Corinne read for us, that said, Paul said to him, why do you have me weeping like this? He wasn't just cold and and calculating and hard-hearted. They were telling him the church needs him, and he knew the church needed him because there's a In one of his letters, he said, I have a decision. I can either depart and go home and be with the Lord, which is far, far better for me. But I can also stay here and minister to you, which is far better for you. And in that case, he decided to stay. His heart is for the church. So them telling him, we can't lose you. You can't leave. This can't happen to you. That was touching his heart. Why do you have me weeping like this? It's like, stop. It's like, come to your senses. What's more important, that I appease you or I obey the Holy Spirit? We face that choice in life a ton. Appeasing man or obeying the Lord. So eventually cooler heads prevailed. Either one, they realized it was the Holy Spirit directing Paul, or two, which is more likely, they knew it was his will, and they finally stopped trying to persuade him from going. In any case, they finally admitted, all right, that's the way it's going to be. 13 and 14. Oh, I do have it in here. Paul said, why all this weeping? Some versions say, why do you have me weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, I'm ready even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. So when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and we said the Lord's will be done. The application for us today comes from Paul's words right here. I'm ready not only to be jailed, but even to die for the sake of the Lord. To their begging and their pleading with him not to go to Jerusalem, Knowing Paul, we're not surprised at his response. Remember recently we, we viewed, we, we covered verses that said the same thing. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. I'm going to get ahead of myself um, from the application, but this is what God has been saying to us over and over and over again. This is the level of commitment that he's calling his church to in these days, not just this church. God has a work he wants to do. You know, there's a parable where it says you don't go build a tower 
unless you first count the cost. And if you can't, uh, don't have the resources, you don't build it. And we always think, well, that's talking about us. We shouldn't start a project unless we make sure we have all the resources and can finish it. But there's another application of that. It's God. He looked out and he said, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to need to do it. And what he needs to accomplish, what he has decided he wants to do, is the full commitment, unbridled, unfettered commitment of the church to him, to live for him. And that's the message, no matter where we end up in Scripture, that's the message he's been saying to the church now for weeks and months, maybe years. Full commitment to the Lord. It's the only way to live. There is no other way to live. Every other way is dead end. Why does he keep saying the same thing? Well, you know, I've told you this before many times. There was a pastor came to, new at the church, and the elders thought he was going to be great. And so, like, for the first six ser- Sundays, he preached the same sermon. Finally, like, oh, man, we made a mistake with this guy. He only knows one sermon. So they went to him, and they said, why do you keep preaching the same sermon over and over? He says, when you get this, I'll move on to another sermon. So it's not me. Everything, this whole series through Acts, God keeps saying the same thing thing to us. I'm challenging you to bring your lives in line with my word, my desires, my will, my plan, my purposes for the church. I've counted the cost. I can do what I said I'm going to do if I have the church on board with me. We don't usually put God in that perspective. We think he'll just do whatever he wants. He can do that. He's all powerful and he can. But that's not how he works. He works through his church on earth. How does Satan work on earth? Through his demons, right? Through his people. How does God work on earth? Through his angels, through his people. So we covered this verse 20, chapter 20, verse 4, recently. Many other verses in Paul's letters reveal the same thing. They reveal this attitude. They reveal this outlook. They reveal this motivation that the Apostle Paul had towards earthly life as a believer. Here's another recent verse we covered. It's from his letter to the Philippians. For to me, living means living for Christ. Dying is even better. What a perspective. What a way to live life with an eternal perspective, not an earthly perspective. An eternal perspective is so strengthening so encouraging. An earthly perspective is so weakening, so discouraging. What is there to live for? You guys think there's a lot, of live, a lot to live for in this world, and, and there are. God, God created the world. He gave us everything to enjoy. But the most fulfilling life you'll live is if you, if you totally give your life to him and live his plan. It's more than anything you could ever come up with on your own. King James Version says it very simply. It's an easy way to memorize it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. One of the first verses I memorized back in the day. For those who are in the discipleship training class, we're entering into that section where we're going to be saying, what portions of the word do we think are the most important to get to our disciples early on? Well, this would be one of them right here. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But how many of us actually live Don't skip over this. How many of us actually live according to this mantra, according to this mindset towards life? How many of us give it more than lip service? For those who do, you found it's a very freeing way to live. So when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we couldn't persuade Paul to do something that the Holy Spirit, to, to not do something the Holy Spirit told him to do. Is that a surprise? We couldn't persuade Paul to disregard all those prophecies he received along the way that he was to go to Jerusalem. He could not be persuaded. He could not be shaken. He could not be uh, moved off 
the, the path. He could not be dragged off. He could not be bought off. He could not be bribed off. Even the approval of man, the people that he loved, crying and, and weeping and begging him not to go, he wouldn't be moved by that. He would not be persuaded or he would not be dissuaded. He would live out the will of the Lord in his life, come what may. He was resolute. He was undeterred. Oh, that we today in the church were living resolute, undeterred lives for the life. But unfortunately in the church today, hear me now. Unfortunately in the church today, we are often deterred by the least little thing that doesn't go our way. We're deterred and moved off the path by the slightest adversity that the world, the flesh, and the devil throws our way. We're so easily deterred by the slightest comfort or convenience that comes our way. That the world, the flesh, and the devil bring our way on purpose. And the devil is a student of human behavior for Centuries and centuries and centuries, and, and he knows you. And he knows what he can place in front of you that will deter you, that will move you off the path. And he will relentlessly do that. Honestly, I have to say I'm, I'm amazed when people come to me, and it's the same old, same old, and I'm like, <laughs> Satan has done this to you before. Don't you see it? good. That'll guard you. If we're thoroughly familiar with the word, he won't be able to do that so easily because it's always disobedience to the word when we get deterred and then we buy into the temptation. And just another word too, because we focus on adversity and adversity moves us off the path and it definitely does. But you know what else moves us off the path? The opposite of adversity. It's an ursity word. It's not quite an ursity word. I'm sorry. It's prosperity. Prosperity. Prosperity is just as bad. We get so caught up in this, in this hemisphere in prosperity that we'll allow that to move us off of living for the Lord. Where is the Job mentality in the church? Where is the Paul mentality in the church these days? Resolute, undeterred, living for Christ, serving the Lord, come what may, adversity or prosperity. I have learned to be content in whatever's my state. Remember Paul saying that? I've had plenty and abundance, and, and I've had not enough food to eat, and it was cold. It didn't matter. I'm never moved off the path by anything earthly. I'm never moved off the path of serving him. We're going to need this mindset in these days ahead. Satan's not going to watch 100,000 lost souls come into the kingdom and just sit there and say, darn, I lost this one. You, some of you have already seen it and felt it. Some of you have already allowed yourselves to be moved off the course by it. The, the fix is easy, though. 1 John 1, 9, get back on the course. One thing I do is forget what's behind, and I press on. I pick myself up. I get back in the race, back on track. Paul did not see their warnings as promptings from God not to go. Rather, he saw them as preparation for what to expect when he would go. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. We're going to close with this, but this reminds me of somebody else in the Bible who was resolute and undeterred. As the time drew near for him, Jesus, to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Listen to this parallel. I'm sure Luke had it in mind. Jesus also was being led by the Spirit to Jerusalem. Paul was being led by the Spirit to Jerusalem. Jesus also could not be persuaded to turn back or turn away from the Father's will for him. Paul would not be deterred or turn back from the Holy Spirit's will for him. 
Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Paul resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus knew full well what awaited him there, cruel death by crucifixion. Paul knew full well from the prophecies of the Spirit what awaited him in Jerusalem, jail and torture and difficult times. Yet he, Jesus, him, Paul, they were unmovable. They were unshakable. They were fully committed to accomplishing the Lord's will plan for their lives. Jesus was first. Paul was following his example. Now we come. Now we come along. God is again challenging us to bring our lives in line with his word and his desire for our lives. The question to ask ourselves as we worship is this. Is his will for my life my highest objective in life? And you need to ask yourself that. And we need to break it down from generally, well, yeah, I think so, to specific decisions that we are making. Are we concerned that those decisions are in God's will for us? We have this neat little tool here, finding God's will. It's available to anybody who wants it. If you're trying to make a decision and you're actually interested if it's God's will, we have a tool to help you do that. If you're making a decision and you're just going to do whatever is most comfortable, most convenient, best for you, without any thinking about what God's will is, then have at it, but there's going to be consequences for that. We're at a stage right now that if you're truly a believer and you're just not taking God's will seriously, God's going to let you know about that. If we don't take care of this issue in our lives, he's going to. And that's not something that you want to experience. How many have been there and done that? We didn't take care of it. He had to. That's what I thought. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to go there. Is his will for my life my highest objective in life? Am I resolute? Am I undeterred? Am I unshakable, unmovable? Am I unable to be persuaded, even by the approval of man, especially those who we love the most, away from living fully committed to Christ and his will and his plan and purposes for me? I'm convinced it's going to take that level of commitment on the part of God's people, believers, the church, you, me, if we have any hope of seeing this mighty move of God that he's been telling us he's going to do. 100,000 precious lost souls coming to Christ through us. Be forewarned, the enemy will not take this sitting down. You stand with me? Speaking of not sitting down, we stand. The band can come forward. And then Steve... Wait till we're all kind of settled down so we can focus on your prayer. Ron, will you make sure the monitors are on up there so we can hear Steve, Steve's prayer up there? Thank you. Father, I just, I just think about all that you're teaching us and all that is happening within this body of believers. I think it's been impressed upon me the messages that you have been giving our pastor each week and how it is just the perfect word that we need to hear with what's happening to this body and within this body. You are preparing each and every one of us, Father, for a great move of God that is coming. For your revival, you have chosen this body of believers to be a part of the revival that you are bringing forward. And you are preparing each and every one of us. And Father, we don't always understand. We're not always comfortable with what you are doing. 
But Lord, we surrender to you. We surrender our hearts and our souls to you, our minds. And we trust in you that where you are leading us is a good place, is a wonderful place. And we're going to see such beauty and such love and such transformation that the world has never seen before. You have chosen Columbia Christian Fellowship, Father. I pray that you will make us understand, Lord, that you will just continue, continue to grow us, to teach us, to prepare us. Lord, and I just pray that you will keep our minds open and our eyes to see beyond the borders of this community, beyond the walls of this church. Yes, Lord. We will see things that you want us to see. And we will not limit ourselves to worldly things and to what this world wants us to see. We will see things that others won't. Oh, Father. As Paul knew what was coming to him, let us not be ignorant to some of the battles that we're going to have to go through. Some of the things that are going to come before us, as Pastor said, the enemy knows exactly what is going to kick us off the path. Let us know, each and every one of us, what is our demon? What is our temptation that is going to kick us off the path or try to kick us off the path? But we, and knowing that we may fall down, we may waver to the right or to the left for a short period, but I pray that each and every one of us will seek your face, Lord, and come back and get back on that path. Paul wasn't perfect, Father. Paul wasn't perfect. Luke wasn't perfect. None of us are. And that is the glory and the grace and the mercy of you is that when we do waver, you're still there on that path waiting for us, arms out, for us to come back. As I heard the word today, Father, a verse came to me, Father, and I looked it up. It's Second Chronicles 2015. And I just want to change just a little bit of it. It says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Columbia Christian Fellowship, for the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. And we thank you, Father. You're listening to a you. podcast from that Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there.